<laughs> yeah. He certainly did. But what did what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? Send the Holy Spirit to teach you all the things. Yeah, bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have told you. And, and that's specifically applicable, I think, to the writers. Absolutely right. The New Testament. We often apply that to all of us in a generic. Thank way, you, and we shouldn't. I don't think particularly we shouldn't. People do. say that all the time. That, in other words, Jesus will bring Scripture to my mind because He says in John fourteen six, I think it is, that I'll bring all things to the Holy Spirit will bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have taught you. Well, if we haven't studied the New Testament yet. How can Jesus possibly bring to our remembrance all the things that we've studied about Him or, or Scripture that He's brought to our mind? So, the Holy Spirit may bring Scripture to our mind, but we don't have permission to use that verse that says that He'll do that. That verse, and I, I think this is universally agreed upon by all evangelical slash conservative evangelical scholars, is that verse is basically the... That verse is basically Christ's commitment to the inscripturation of the New Testament. So, anyway... Um, moving into music a little bit more one of the things we talked about last week that we want to pick up on a little bit this week before we look at specific <coughs> hymns that we have sung across the ages is we, we talked about all types of music that we sing as Christians and that we like from rap to you know even taking um, April gave me a CD to listen to by a band called Apologetics with an X, and what they do is they take, so instead of Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, they do Bethlehemian Rhapsody, and you know, it sounds really corny, you know what I mean, it's like, oh man, it sounds so hokey, on the one hand, on the other hand, the group is extremely talented in terms of their music, it's amazing how they're able to capture some of the, the rhythms and some of the riffs, some of the percussion, some of the drumming uh, is pretty intense, uh, and you know, you, you, can, you, can, you can take the words, you know, for what they're worth, they're scripturally accurate. It's not, it's not. You know, <laughs> keep going back to this because I like it so much. It's not Jesus is my boyfriend lyrics. You know, uh, it's solid. Uh, there used to be a group. Uh, I think it was Hootie and the Blowfish before Darius Rucker became country. I only want to be with you, and they took that and turned it into Naomi's going to be with Ruth. You know, so it's, you know, some of that stuff is like really just. I was like, yeah, you know, but. So there's all kinds of music that we listen to and that we do. There's Southern Gospel that is uh, might be great sung at a concert, right? Uh, so there's lots of neat things the Gaithers do. But we wouldn't necessarily sing some of those, some of them, a lot of them we would, but some of them congregationally. We would not congregationally rap. And I don't think even a church where all the redeemed were rappers would congregationally rap. Because it doesn't seem to lend itself to that kind of expression. Yeah, Gary. Yeah, before I, I forget about it, and maybe you might not address it, prior to the Reformation, what was the music like in hymnology of the Dark Ages and early ages of the church? Did you have any idea? I don't really have that much an idea of what went on in the Middle Ages, other than the development of a lot of chanting and a lot of those kinds of things. Then later on, you had people like Bach coming up with amazing things, and you know a lot of the classical uh, pianist and concert uh, uh, concerto writers came up with amazing things. But there had to be something that kind of led up to Bach because he didn't just come on the scene and all of a sudden, you know. No, exactly. Uh, I'm sure he was innovative in some ways because all of the greats are innovative in some way. I mean, innovation is what we remember, right? So we remember Bach. We might all know Bach or something of Bach. But we may not necessarily know, okay, who, who, who was Bach's teacher? Or who were some of the people that influenced Bach? We always sort of know the innovators, don't we? You know, we don't know who invented... Some of us might know who invented the first computer, but what kind of innovation was done, you know, in the 90s or whatever? I mean, it's only when we get to Windows 95 that we start remembering real innovation in computers if you're a computer geek. What about the use of musical instruments right. in the church? Like, I know well, Spurgeon some, didn't have right. any usage for them. Um, yeah, I wish I knew their reasoning for that and uh, certainly some of the Puritans, but you talked about medieval, so that's before the Puritans. Um, but there were all kinds of instrumentation in that era, so I have, I, I don't think... And, and then we have to look at the difference between, uh, you know, the influence that Rome had, and what 
what impact did the Reformation have on music? That's a, that'd be an interesting study. Mm. Uh, still today, there are churches that don't want even some of the rigid. I'll call them the rigid. You know, some of the more rigid churches won't have musical accompaniment, only the voice. I don't know where that came from. You don't get that out of scripture. It's, it's a lot. A lot of that is in Scotland. There's a lot mm-hmm. of Scotland, Scottish Presbyterian churches that do that. The uptight Scots. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Go ahead. Scots, not Scotch. Yeah. The, uh, the the you think that it was uh, the, the music in those days was considered a distraction rather than inspirational? You know, if it was, and again, I just don't know. I honestly don't know the history of medieval music uh, as an expression of theology. And I, my guess would be that concern would be theology if if there was ever a reason to make sure that uh, the music was was you know Christological and or theologically accurate, seems to me that would be the only reason for having words only, so that the emphasis could be on the words. But the Psalms are loaded. I mean, and you read anywhere in the Old Testament about the Levitical duties with respect to music, and there's lyres and cymbals and timbrels and all kinds of music. Loud music. Really loud music. And Paul talked about it too, you know. He said, hey, if if we didn't know the different sounds that music makes and why they make them, what, what would we do? It would just be, if the symbol or, you know, I forget, I don't know if it was First Corinthians 13 where he talked about that. Or, no, I think it was the discussion of tongues. So yeah, you compare tongues to a clanging right. symbol. Yeah, First yeah, Corinthians 12 talks about the gifts and it talks about tongues and things, right? Brother, am I in the right place? And um, the brothers that might know, sisters, correct that verse. Because I, I like to have good scripture reference. If I'm wrong... Correct it. It is 12 or 13 somewhere. Yeah, so 13 is the love chapter. And then 12 talks about the gifts and it speaks about tongues. And it talks about you have to have an interpreter. Because if not, it's like, you know, how, how are you going to know what, 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 why the instrument is making music, you know? But I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if... I don't know if it's possible that there was instrumentation in the medieval times and then it became... I guess what so many things can be, a distraction um, or a shift in emphasis. And so, as a reaction to that, right? Because so much of our church life is reactionary. You know, so much of what happens in the church is reactionary to what already happens. We create so many distractions from Jesus for ourselves. From reading some stories, it, it um, date back quite a bit. A lot of the music in general, not necessarily... Mm-hmm. Um, scriptural, theological, were stories. Mm -hmm. Well, the song of Moses, way back in the Pentateuch, you know, which is going to be sung again in the Revelation. Don't they sing the song of Moses? Yeah, they do, right? Don't they sing the song of Moses in the Revelation? Yes. So, um, that's a very old song. And that's fascinating to me. We're going to sing what was sung back in when Moses wrote a song called The Song of Moses about the deliverance that God had. You go back and read that. It's a great song. So the church is full of history. What about, before I get into some sort of the ancient hymns we call them we like, there are hymns a lot more ancient than these hymns. Um, I didn't bring the text with me, but I found it. I had alluded to, I don't know if I mentioned it after class last week, or if I mentioned it in class. But probably the oldest thing that we sing goes back to um, you know, Be Thou My Vision, which was an Irish poem written in either the 6th or 8th century that was set to music maybe in the 15th century. But I read the words, and the words of the poem are... So the words in Be Thou My Vision are in there, but there's even more in there that's really good. So and really, you know, theologically rich. Oh, so that's fun. that's ancient, man. That's really old. But go back even before that. What what are some New Testament hymns that we see? I wonder if you know. Was there a Mary song? I'm sorry. Mary, Mary song. I know that you know the the um, when Mary the appearance of the Lord to her. I don't know that she sang. Um, did she sing that? It certainly was. If she did, I don't believe it was. A, so let me be more precise. It was hymns that probably were sung in the various churches at times. Was it in 
in Ephesians or Philippians, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, yeah you're on to it there. There are a number of them that, that uh, scholars consider to have been ancient hymns, early hymns of the church. And they're things that are very sort of uh, highly Christological or really theologically you know, accurate, just like the Old Testament Psalms were. Ephesians 5.14b, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you, is considered to be something that was likely sung before it was sort of inscripturated or written down as part of Scripture or maybe, you know, simultaneous to it. What, what's, that, what's another great one that, that's considered? A lot of Philippians chapter 2 was considered as well to have been a hymn, you know? Uh, everything that we read about Christ there, you know, <laughs> do nothing through selfish ambition of vain glory, right? In, in the way that, that Scripture proceeds here, but in everything, but <clears throat> let each man consider each, uh, let each one consider others as you know better than self, right? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being a very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself of no rep- reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant. And being found in appearance, and appeared as a man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death upon the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee might will bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. That's considered to be an ancient and early hymn of the church as well. What about that? What about that hymn can tell us about sort of what our hymnody should be like or can be like? Yeah, so so Christological, so Christocentric, right? So focused on Christ, you know what I mean? First um, Timothy three sixteen, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Again, this is telling us things about Christ. You see how important it was for the New Testament church to understand so fully who Christ was. Mm. Where the emphasis was always on Christ, even in their singing. Second Timothy, Second Timothy two, eleven to thirteen. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. So we get these if then statements that talk us through sort of the death and the resurrection of Christ. And, and, and an admonition as well for us to be faithful. And I think this is another one of those verses we understand. People turn this into, well, if we're faithless, He remains faithful. As if we're faithless, He's going to be faithful to get us there. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. Because just in the line before that, if we deny Him, He'll deny us. So I don't think we can use that verse to say, well, if our faith is you know, really weak or we don't really show faith, that's okay, okay. Christ is faithful. He's going to see to it that we get there. Now, that that, that doesn't fruit upon the truth that we persevere because of Christ and because of His uh, what happened in, in His death and the resurrection. But I don't think this verse tells us at all. I don't think it encourages us. It's, I don't think any scripture is meant to is intended to encourage us in our faithlessness. Admonish, yes. But not encourage, right? Yeah, so, so I don't think we should ever be encouraged in our faithlessness. It's okay if your faith is weak. Don't worry, Jesus has got it. There's a, kind of a truth to that in a way, but only to encourage the person to greater faith. Well, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, How long hmm. are you going to uh, have a little faith? Yeah, really. Yeah, really. Jesus at times was like, You people make me sick. You know? <laughs> it's like, what's the matter with you? What more do you need? Um, and this one is Colossians 1 15 to 20. <clears throat> Typically called the Christ Hymn. Right? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the <clears throat> the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Hmm. 
Man, that's insane, isn't it? Uh, I was watching a video yesterday of this guy, um, a friend of my son, Michael's, um, and he has a, it's a massive handgun. I, I wanted to say it's a 500 something or a 50, brother, what is like a really huge handgun? Oh, is that Desert Eagle? Is that yeah, maybe that's what it was, and it is massive, and I thought, look at that thing, man, that thing is just power, and that thing has a purpose, you know what I mean, and that thing just would, just goes through things, and this verse like this was put here and we shouldn't be surprised that it becomes a hymn because what's going on this is going to challenge a little what's going on in the book of Colossians that demanded such a uh, colossal Christocentric bold statement what's going on in Colossae that required this kind of a thing well Paul was battling like false doctrine yep they were trying to I don't, people, I think a lot of scholars don't really necessarily know exactly what mm-hmm. heresy it might have been, but you know, basically it was kind of being taught like, oh yeah, yeah, no, Jesus is good, but mm-hmm. you also need to like be, do this, or right? Do exactly, that, and yep. like you know, add these works or whatever. Yep. And so Paul had to say, no, sure. it's nothing but Jesus. It's it, Jesus is everything, all in all, through all, mm-hmm. and so he had to lay that yep. out just to like make his point. Thank you, Gary. Jesus is being contrasted with angels. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on in Colossians about angels and demons. Even the church becomes a witness to the principalities and powers, right? Mm. I believe that's in Colossians. There's, I think there's talk in Colossians. I might be confusing with Ephesians because the two were, you know, sort of the twin towers of Christology. <laughs> but uh, there was this emphasis on, um, you know, why do you continue to submit yourselves to the elemental things? So in Colossians, we still see there's a struggle with uh, you, you know, kind of like what would have been ancient astrology. Yeah, it talks about like new moons. That's right. So there's new moons in the Sabbath. Which yeah. things are a shadow? Yeah, right. Of the of the things that come. Now the substance is here. So this hymn. What can this tell us about our music? This particular hymn was put in place to help people learn better, understand better Christology. So maybe our songs. That we that, that are newly written. If we write new songs, they can be used to address erroneous thoughts about Christ. Mm. Right? We take a look at what's what's being said about Christ today. What's being said about what's being said about God today? What's being said about Oh, I'm spiritual but not religious. Right? How many people say that? Oh, I'm spiritual but I'm not religious. Right? And I just want to say thank you for stating the obvious. You know, I mean, we're all spiritual, but ask people what they mean by that. If ever there was a uh, an open door, I want to say, or at least a real good opportunity to speak and to bring it to the next level, it's that statement by people. Well, I'm spiritual, but not religious. You know, you wait, wait, wait. The light should go on. It's like there's like an open door. It's like welcome. And so there's an opportunity for us, right, to say, oh, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? What do you, what do you mean you're spiritual but not religious? What does that sort of mean to you? What, does, what do you mean when you say spiritual? What do you mean when you say religious? And, and why are they different? Or how are they different for you? You know, Good opportunity there. So maybe if we're going to write good Christian music now, and there is good Christian music being written, um, I think... Over the years, one of the great ones that I really like is Behold Our God. What an amazingly rich uh, song that is. Theological. And it doesn't have that... Um, you now, it'll impact you emotionally. And the reason why it impacts you emotionally is because it will only impact you emotionally to the extent that it does if you belong to Christ because it's such profound <laughs> truth. And the truth of God is intended to provoke emotion in us. So our emotions are are there uh, to give you know glory to God, and it's it's the old uh, Augustinian you know comment, um, you know uh, you O God created us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee. Well, that applies to everything in life. So yeah, we should you know God will trip our trigger that way emotionally, big time, and and the more clearly we see Him, the more the clearly we know Him the more that's going to happen. Um, as opposed to some songs that 
encourage hope in us or provoke us to, you know, like the way, again, referring to last week, like the way the eye of the tiger would, you know, make us want to put on some, like my brothers and I used to put on boxing gloves and start pounding the tar out of each other. <laughs> Within 10 minutes, the gloves were off, right? But, but you know, something about that music motivates you to do something. There are songs that we sing in the body and maybe not so much here. I, I don't want to, last thing I want to do is critique too specifically what we do here music-wise. I've said there are songs I like and songs I don't. Part of that is just because I'm uptight or something. But, you know, songs that make us feel emotionally hopeful or songs that will encourage me that Jesus will get me out of my struggle or songs that say it's going to be, sort of communicate, it's going to be okay. Because I don't know what the objective reality behind that is. I don't know what okay is for me in many cases. So I, I, why would I want to sing about that? Why would I want to... In, in music, we commit ourselves emotionally to things. And I think if we're going to commit ourselves emotionally to things, they should be truths. Or reflections on the beauty and nature, that kind of thing that can. Um, when I in awesome, How Great Thou Art. What a song that is. And what does that talk about? When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the tree. All these things uh, bring in us things about God and, and the beauty that He built into the creation. So I think we can sing about beauty. Things that are really beautiful. Um, the third stanza is incredible. Yes, it is. In contrast to that, um, found out by leading a study that a lot of the laments found in Ezekiel were sung and they were cool. sung about yeah. the opposite of beauty and sung about basically the bad times mm. and the suffering yep. and things like that. Um, there's songs like uh, Isaiah, uh, I, think, I forget exactly where, but uh, about them being oppressed by other kingdoms. Mm. Yep. So singing has such a place in our corporate life. So congregationally, we need to be singing things as the church. As the body of Christ. Now, this is, you know, it, we are so individualistic in our culture. So much so that, again, we have that thing called the selfie. So we don't want songs in the church to be selfie songs, right? And they can be. We could have selfie songs. I, I can't think of an example. Can anyone that, anyone that knows some contemporary Christian music? Give some thought as to what they might suggest is, after all, a selfie song. I, I don't know. I don't know. It would have to be people that listen to a lot of music, sort of contemporary Christian music, or it's probably a huge list, but I can't even. Yeah, think. yeah, I can't even think. Angela, of thought. And and flower quickly fading. Oh, yes. And yes, they're mm-hmm. like, they're mm-hmm. truths about yourself. Good point. I mean, how many times does they say I in the song? Like, really? How many times does it say I am? Like, yeah. Ah. Right? For a Christian to sing anything with I am in it, we ought to have a little sensitivity to it. Mm. Right? We ought to have a little a little sensitivity to ego am I, am I, right? Or am I? We should have a little sensitivity to what that I am means. Thinking, I am thine, O Lord. I am first, I am always uh-huh. No, I can't remember exactly the rest of it. Yeah, I can see where that would be. That, uh, yeah. So not proper for a congregational setting. I really think this is accurate. We sing a, a, a collection of voices. Every every tribe and ten, a tongue and kindred and nation will sing together at some point. Mm. Darlene, come on, man. Throw, <laughs> throw something in here. Put a spoke in the tire. <laughs> I have to disagree. Good. <laughs> Darlene is our official spokeswoman. <laughs> she wants to put the spoke in the tires. <laughs> I, for years and years and years, mm-hmm. I understood this, but it never reached me. Mm-hmm. And the day it reached me, I said, it's all about me. Because I have a personal relationship with mm-hmm. God and mm-hmm. with Jesus. <coughs> now, we're all praying here, mm-hmm. but he's li- only listening to me. Oh, yeah, he's listening to you, too, mm-hmm. but he's listening to me. Mm-hmm. And so this I am that they mm-hmm. they were saying, yes, I can take. I don't take that as a selfie. I'm taking that as 
this is my walk. Uh-huh. This is my love for you, God. Mm-hmm. So I don't take it as a selfie and say, hey, look at me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm in my prayer closet. And this. <coughs> so it is all about me. And, and you too. But, you know. I, I, I think there's a place for that. And I think, you know, it's pretty bold because not, not, not many people would say it's all about me. And I think I understand I think what I you're saying. What she means. I think what, what we never got before we became genuinely born again, yes. we always say, well, he died for all of us. Mm-hmm. And you never saw it right. as applicable to yourself individually. Yep. Like Paul says, the Son of God loved me and gave yep. himself for me. Yep. I don't think of Paul being selfish about nope. that. Nope. Or, or that he was uh, trying to uh, make Christianity all about him. Nope. But I think he recognized the personal... Yep. Uh, efficacy of Christ's work on his behalf and mm-hmm. he, he treasured that yep. fact that Christ died as his individual personal substitute. Yep. Thank and, you. Yep. And so true as that is, still, and you know, I kind of insist upon this, still, <clears throat> the church is the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. You are not the temple of the Holy Spirit. The church is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul says, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? He's talking to the body. He's not talking to the individual. Okay? And so there is room for individual expression. And I'm not not saying that there isn't. But we have to understand who we are as a church if we're to understand the emphasis Christ's place on his body. You individually are not the bride of Christ. You are not, he is not your husband. He's not my husband. He's the church's husband. He's not the. We, he is not. I am not Christ's bride. I am part of His bride. I am part of His body, but I individually am not the church. I can think of verses that say pieces of the temple are hmm? inside of us, part of the temple. Yeah, first six I think is is the individual person mm-hmm. being the temple. Mm-hmm. Or what, where you were quoting First Corinthians three. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's mm-hmm. in reference to the church corporately mm-hmm. of, of Christ's abiding presence. I would definitely want to know what that verse is in 1 Corinthians 6 and how differently it is nuanced because I don't think he can say both. I could be wrong, but I don't think... The context that he talks about mm-hmm. you know, joining yourself to a yep. how and doing that, you and become you one temple. with her and you individually... You know, the, the body was not made for fornication, <coughs> but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Mm-hmm. Know you not that you uh, that, that uh, you are the um, temple, temple of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God dwells in you. Yep. Um, and, and do you know if the you there is plural or singular? I would. I mean, that's where we have to look specifically. But even so, there's nothing that we do as individuals that doesn't affect the church. Not, we have to think of ourselves in terms of body. So it may be that sort of the individual singing and that kind of thing. Again, I'm going to try to turn this into like this legalistic, you know, make fun of sort of thing. But there has to be a purpose to the body singing about God, singing His qualities, singing of His works, singing of His attributes. Because of something that is exalting, the church exalts the head. We cannot individually exalt the head. None of us individually can glorify God to the extent that God can be glorified. This is the church's function. It's the church's place. It's the church's duty. It's the church's joy. It's not to diminish altogether the individual. And again, we're so used to our individual election. We talk so much about our individual election. We always have to be careful with our theology. Yeah, every one of us was elect according to the foreknowledge of God. The church was elect according to the foreknowledge of God, of which we are all a part. And we saw, and this is why this big argument over Romans, you know, chapter nine, is it talking about God's election of a people or God's election of individuals? And I don't want to get into that debate, but that's a that's a raging debate, and always has been. So I just think that uh, I think that even Darlene, so even if if there was singing in the church that say a person experienced the rebirth at that moment, it's because of the exaltation and the glory of God. It's because we see, yes, we do individually, yes. And at that point, you're being incorporated into the body because Scripture says that we died with Christ. We were baptized into His death. That means our baptism into Christ happened the moment He died upon the cross. <coughs> has to be. If we were buried with Him in baptism, if we were buried with Him, we died with Him, we were buried with Him, that happened... 
we, it was ordained before the creation of the world, but that baptism into his death happened at his death as a whole body. So I just want to, and I, I see your hand, I just want to, there's probably a whole theology of music that would speak more fully to this, but I do want to emphasize the importance of the body singing and the body professing and the body proclaiming. That's why we have creeds and that kind of thing. And, and that we need each other because even if if I'm not a member of a church anywhere and there are people, Christians, that call themselves Christians um, and again, I could splice those words too. I think you could you could be a genuine follower of Christ but if you're not attending church, you're not a Christian. If you're not a regular church attendee, if you're not with the people of God regularly, you're not a Christian as far as I'm concerned, properly speaking. But um, and that might just be an argument. I'm not saying to saved or not saved. I just mean, what does it really mean to be Christian? That could be another whole class. Very important for us to understand the function of the whole body. Because it's the whole body that's going to glorify God together. There's no distinction in the Revelation. There's no... I don't even see lead musicians in the Revelation when we're all singing. The elders and the angels sing. I don't, I don't know. So, I think there's an important... Gabe had a hand up. You asked for like a, a couple contemporary yep. songs that... Um, or be considered selfie songs. Mm-hmm. The thing is that most of them are. Mm-hmm. Most of them are or aren't. They most of them are. Mm-hmm. They usually are centered towards you, and that's <laughs> a, it's not really even an argument because Christian contemporary music wasn't made to be sung in church. Right. Good point. Exactly. For you to exactly. To and it's yes. Uplifting. Um, it's much better than the trash you hear on the radio. Oh, the definitely, radio. and I, I'm all for it. it you know, you're, you're talking a lot about singing contemporary music in church, and that it just yep. wasn't made for church. So it's really not an argument yep. in that. Yep. Uh, you know, you see um, Jesse Dixon with the Gaithers. Anyone remember Jesse Dixon? Mm-hmm. Oh, man, this brother, this black brother, he was just, he'd get the whole place. He'd be singing Highway to Heaven. You know, he had to have a Pentecostal background. He'd be, <laughs> didn't, he, up until he died. And he was, you know, in his late 60s, and he's dancing around the whole place, going up and down the aisles, and people standing up. You know, even a lot of probably old fundamental independent Baptist you know, stingy old pitchfork holding, you know, Victorian, you know, up. But we can't sing that stuff congregationally. But I wouldn't miss that. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't miss him singing, Jesse Dixon singing, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. You know, tears streaming down his face as he's singing. We can't sing that as a congregation, right? Because and it's almost self, it's almost intuitive. It's almost sort of self-evident that some songs, isn't it? Some songs are better sung. The words reflect a whole sort of body experience. If you went to a baseball game and everyone plays second base and they put second baseman in every single position, that would be just a terrible game. Except for that guy playing second base. He'd be the star of the game probably every night. Right? There are exceptions. I went to a ball game where at the end of the game Mitch Morgan, the first baseman, pitched. He struck out, I think he struck out the side. It was a terrible game. We got clobbered like 16 to 2. They brought the first baseman in the pitch. He struck out the side. So this gonna, But if everybody was a second baseman, right, where would the shortstop be? Where would the first baseman be? Where would the catcher be? So, All of this I say to just say that music brings all this stuff to my mind and gets us really thinking like it's supposed to. And I would never ever deny our spokeswoman the reality of that individual rich experience because... There are things that I can, I can sing. In, in my car when I sing, I have the best voice <laughs> of anyone. But when I get with other people, I don't know. Something happens. It just I don't sound as good. I, I think I kind of lean towards. Um, the, I don't know. I could be wrong. I could be right. It doesn't matter to me personally. Um, if I can a- a- apply whatever music wherever I am. Um, Singularly, mm-hmm. or or as a group, I I kind of think of it in both ways. Yep. If it applies to the whole church, it does. Mm-hmm. If it applies to me singularly, it mm-hmm. does. Yep. <coughs> and I think that there are things that um, maybe it is difficult because we are you know people use theologians use interesting terms like um, you know we're an we're an organic entity, the body. You know, where there is a mystery to us and about us. I never like to pretend that we understand everything because it's like why come to Sunday school anymore if we understand everything? You know why? 
I was saying to Kim this morning, you know, I still, I don't think I'm going to be able to pursue that PhD in this lifetime. There are a couple of books I still want to write. I don't think I'm going to get them done in this lifetime. I hope in the next world we can still get education and still get PhDs and still write books and things like that. I think we probably can. Uh, I won't get into why I think that's the case, but I think we can. There's a lot to explore that we can only see from a great, great distance now. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, there's got to be. So anyway, um, favorite great hymns of the faith, so-called. Old hymns. And this is probably a little bit harder. Oh, let me ask some of the really young among us. Which really old hymn, and you probably know what I mean by that, do you like? Which one when when we sing do you like it? Let's start with the under 20 crowd. Is there anything that you hear, and you know what I think, uh, you know what I mean by the ancient hymns, right? Because they sound different than other things. Yeah. Peace like a river. Peace like a river. Mm. I like most of them, actually. Yeah. Any other one we can think of? We can move the, we can move the age bracket up a little bit now. We can get into the, we can get up, up to the under 30 crowd. <laughs> what, what, what old hymn, ancient hymns do you really like? Or maybe you don't. Maybe you just kind of like tolerate them. And there's no right. I'm not going to give any thoughts. I'm just curious as to what people are. Yeah. Blessed assurance. Blessed assurance. Yeah. Wow, that's an oldie. I'm closer to 30. Yes, you are, sister. Well said. Um, Give me that old time religion. Give me that old time religion. Now, there's some deep southern gospel there. Yep. I like southern gospel. That is my favorite sort of genre to sing or have playing. coming next week. Brothers and uh, yeah, we got some. We have a very good guest next week. I guess I don't know. Don't know anything about him. <laughs> I'm sorry. Will of God had his hand up. A what? An on-time God. Yep. Cool. Very cool. Well, let's take a look at some of the real sort of classics. The ones that even you know probably play out in every. Christian denomination, whether it's closer to the core of what Christianity really is or not, and by that I mean many of our Roman Catholic friends, uh, because many of these hymns are sung throughout the history of the Roman Catholic Church as well. Um, Google, if you're interested in apologetics at all, Google Ravi Zacharias' response to a question, is Roman Catholicism a cult? It's just a seven-minute video. Uh, no, it would be certain. I think would be his general conclusion. But more than answering that specific question, he gives, as he often does, questions which cause us to reflect on the question behind the question. So, okay, Martin Luther. Music is a grace of God and not an invention of man. Thus it drives out the devil and makes people cheerful. The devil, the originator of sorrowful anxieties and restless troubles, flees before the sound of music almost as much as before the word of God. And David did that for Saul. He couldn't play it. Excellent point. Music itself can be so beautiful that it would drive away the devil. David played music. Like it. Saul. Yeah, Jonathan, our brother Jonathan was just saying that. Absolutely, good point. That's all right. If you didn't hear them, the two people made the same great point without knowing it. So it's. I can't hear. Is that the the deaf leading the blind? (laughs) Martin Luther. Martin Luther had some deep spiritual struggles. Um, and by the way, you can always read stuff online about how wicked some of the old reformers were. Calvin was involved in this. Luther was involved in that. So, to which I usually say, yeah, they were human indeed. Luther. Anyone know about his struggles? I what? know when he first went to the mon- the, uh, to being a monk, he'd mm-hmm. be in confession for literally hours. Yes. And and the, and the, the priest listening to him would just be like, Martin, go back to your room. Yes. He'd be like, just leave. Yeah, come, can, like, come back and get another sin to confess. Because, <laughs> yeah, he used to go in there with the same sins all the time, literally so much so that his priest said, Martin, go do something else. 
sort of a comeback. I think it was R.C. Sproul that said, if anyone could ever have gotten to heaven by sheer monkery, it was Martin Luther, you know? Mm. And he had... Um, what, what, what famous little sort of anecdote is there about Martin Luther and his struggle with the devil? What did he throw at him, supposedly? Inkwell. Yeah, right, an inkwell. Supposedly that blot is still on the wall, right? I hope that's true, because I think those are really cool stories. It's, it's probably much closer to being true than the Shroud of Turin being the actual Shroud yeah. of Jesus. But, um, yeah, he, he, he struggled with, with that. Deep spiritual battles, I think. And how did he fight that? How did he come to know that? How did he come to... Well, look at, look at this song that he wrote. A mighty fortress is our God. Right? What a great hymn this is. What a great... So, <clears throat> he probably wrote it... Um, there was a plague in Wittenberg. And, you know, with his ongoing struggles with Rome. His, his home for a while became a hospital for friends that were suffering from this plague. Many of whom died even right in his home. Um, and this song has uh, probably it's some of his, at least some of his base is Psalm 46 and Ephesians 6.12 I'm going to go to Psalm 46 for a moment because it's good to say how does the Psalms when we think about how do we do spiritual battle we should be thinking scripture there's no other way you know we can't be saying I command you in the name of Jesus to leave in so many words there's more to it than that Psalm 46, there's someone there. I'm a little busy entertaining myself. Um, somebody got that? Read it, please. How long is it? Hold on, maybe I have a specific. Yes, 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 the whole thing. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. So, I mean, probably the title of that psalm, if you have it, you know, provided by the translators, provided by others, is God is our fortress. Okay? And it would tell you there, to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Elamoth. Okay, which is probably, again, some sort of a musical term. So it was clearly set to music. A song. So this was sung. And it's sung about the sort of fortressness of God. Right? Ephesians 6.12. Anybody know that without having to turn to it? Of God. Yeah, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, right? Against principalities and powers. So, <clears throat> yeah, and, and he goes in, you're right, Brother John, to talk about the whole thing. Uh, now, what, what are you reading? What was that translation? Okay, so uh, if someone's got like the King James or the ESV, even maybe even the NASB, what is the what is the um, verse seven, forty six seven? Okay. Um, the Lord of hosts is with us, yes. the God of Jacob. Yeah, thanks. The Lord of hosts, he's referred to. And this is what we're this is what we're hearing when we sing uh, Lord Sabaoth his name. I think some people have mistaken that as him being Lord of the Sabbath, but Sabaoth is the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. And what is the Lord? This is a very common name for for God in here, the Lord of hosts. What what is that a reference to? What is that a reference to? What is it when we read the Lord of Hosts in Scripture? We read it a lot. A lot of times, it's the Lord Almighty. He's the Lord of the spiritual armies. He's the Lord of, of sort of the whole spiritual warfare. He's the one that commands the hosts of heaven to take up God's army. They're the ones that God empowers to do His great spiritual battle, right? And so we're singing here about Jesus Christ, Lord Sabaoth, His name, from age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. This is why this is such a great song. This is such a great spiritual warfare song. 
Um, right, a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, never failing. What's a bulwark? What is a bulwark? Yeah, it's, it's a defensive structure, right? It's a it's a great big wall of protection, right? A mighty a bulwark, never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe starts it right out in the first stanza, the first collection doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Let's think about that part. On earth is not his equal. This brings us in... I mean, this is, he, this is a, a good song to reflect upon spiritual warfare. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and who is he that is in you? Christ, right? I suppose some people might think the Spirit. Well, the Spirit of Christ, but I think it's Christ. But as far as like any particular individual sort of human being, I mean, his his craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. So we're getting a little good sort of instruction here, a good reminder. And again, written in such a dark time. So this song definitely reflected the times. And so he was able to, to encourage in this did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Right? If we depended upon ourselves, every step we took would be a loss. Everything we did. If we confided in our strength, the very confidence we have is losing. That confidence is a loser by definition. <clears throat> We're not the right man on our side, that man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Right? Christ Jesus it is he from age to age the same and he must win the battle Jesus is also called the Lord of hosts uh, though the world with devils filled should threaten to undo us very real threats from demonic forces we don't talk a lot about sort of you know, not, you know we don't want to see a devil behind every tree but we've got to face it pretty quick we're engaged in spiritual warfare, the likes of which is demon... Just what he says here. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's demonic activity today aimed at... The devil just smearing your face and dumb. And rubbing you and dragging you across barbed wire dipped in battery acid and just destroying you tearing you up just taking away your hope it, yeah and there's a lot of it there's a lot of it <coughs> for example all false religion all false religion this is a provocative statement that will get you in trouble anything that is not genuine Christ, Christianity is demonically inspired or influenced mm, Paul says that Paul says as much Satan is behind all false teaching he's the father of all lies He's behind every false teaching. There's demonic activity behind every false teaching. There's, now that doesn't mean that in does that mean in Buddhism there isn't some great truth to get? I bet you there is. I'm guarantee you there is. But it's truth that just happens to be sort of natural theology. It happens to be reality that they've tapped into. Um, and you'll find lots of truth out there. But as soon as anything contradicts Christianity, it is true. It is, it is untrue at that point, right? So regardless of what little nuggets of truth we may find in other religions, and we do remember that you know Satan does appear as an angel of light, so the problem is there can be some beautiful things. But, but the sum total goal is deception. Even if that beauty has to become a tool for a little while, the enemy can withstand it if he has to. As much as he hates it, he'll put up with it if it'll accomplish his greater end. Uh, his rage we can endure. We can. Why? Because his doom is sure. In fact, it's already accomplished. His doom is already done. I mean, Christ said, I set, I mean, Paul said, I set Christ before you. It's, it's, you know, he, he, he put to shame. He put the public humiliation the enemy. He shamed him publicly. Um, one little word shall fell him. Isn't that biblically accurate when the sword that proceeds from the devil's mouth, uh, from the devil's mouth, from Christ's mouth? Right, the sword, the double-edged sword that comes out of Christ's mouth, we read about in the Revelation. It's over. There's no. 
That's right. And there's a lot there for us, quoting scripture so called, right? And then uh, that I love this verse, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. What is that telling us? What does that mean? That word we sing this, what does it mean to you when we sing it? That word about and if it if it hasn't meant anything to you, you should think about every song we sing upstairs, every verse, every line is intended for us to know something about God and to provoke a worship response in us of some kind, to know God somehow, okay, to admonish us somehow. Everything that we sing in in its right place, right? No that word, which is Christ, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. All the power we have, everything we have, Christ is not Christ, and Christ is not sufficient. Christ is not all sufficient because of anything in us. No thanks to us, no credit to us, no nothing in us. The spirit and the gifts are ours. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abides still. And in, in, in Martin Luther's case, the body they may kill was very likely a reference to the Roman Catholic Church, right? Potentially the devil, but certainly towards the Roman Catholic Church. You want to read about the differences that existed at one point, certainly between Rome and what came to be known as Reformation Christianity. Is look at the things that Spurgeon and others said about the Catholic Church, who all believed that the Catholic Church was the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. That was the power to be overcome in all the world is Roman Catholicism. So wicked is it. So deceptive is it. So, th- that was their belief. I'm not going to take a position on that one way or the other right here. But that's what they believed back then. Of course, that's because the church, Catholic Church had a history of putting to death anyone that disagreed with it. So That would tend towards making you a little bit sensitive. Last comment goes to Harrison. Be profound. As <laughs> usual. Yes. It inspired music, so it shouldn't surprise us that in the Reformation we see songs that somehow strike at that. Okay, we did go a little bit over, but we had to, and we'll get together next week with our, with our special guest. And so we give thanks this morning, Father, for our time together. Pray you be exalted now upstairs in our singing, in our learning, in our admonition, and help us, Lord, not to be uh, self-deceived. Amen. Amen.